Bibles, turn with me to Thessalonians chapter 2, where we spoke from last week. So my plan was to do about a chapter a week, and I haven't made it yet, because every time I read, there's something else that I want us to hear, and there's something else that I want us to, to catch and to listen to. Last week, I shared with you that our imperative need as Christians was to spiritually sign a death warrant to understanding that we're in control of our lives and that in order for us to successfully follow the gospel as Jesus Christ has laid out for us, then we have to turn off the understanding that our emotions are what guide us and we have to turn off the idea that we have enough wisdom in order to determine uh, the moral verdict about what can be called sin and what can't be called sin. Uh, and we talk about all this from the aspect of Paul, the guy that had all the credentials and all the uh, authority and the ability to say the things that he said. But it always seemed that Paul's number one goal was to point things to Jesus Christ. And so I want us to revisit uh, a little bit about that again um, today. But before we, we do that, we're going to pray before we open God's Word. And one of the, the things that... Um, I would ask you prayers for today. Y'all remember my buddy Charlie Brown has come and talked before about Nicaragua and all that, and then uh, the week after the storm, he brought that group of like 5,000 people down in the burgers and hot dogs and all that. So I was talking to him Friday night on the phone about potentially coming back down and cooking for a work group we have coming in on the um, It was a good conversation. He's like, dude, I'm excited. Let's do it. And about an hour and a half later, I get a message. Hey, Matt, I'm in the ER. I think I just had a heart attack. I said, really? And then 10 minutes later, he said, they're prepping me for open heart surgery. I said, when did you have this heart attack? He said, well, I felt it while I was on the phone with you, but I was excited, so I just ignored it. If you know Charlie, that sounds about right. But anyways, doctors check him out. They think they can wait until till tomorrow to do surgery. So tomorrow morning, he's going to go in for open heart surgery. Uh, so if you would keep Charlie Brown in your prayers. Not the peanuts Charlie Brown, but the big, tall, hamburger-cooking Nicaragua missionary guy, Charlie Brown. Uh, I would greatly appreciate that. But let's go to God in this prayer as we get ready to open His Word this morning. God, I pray that Your Spirit would speak to us in the way that we need to be spoken to this morning. Each one of us, when we read the pages of Your Scripture, we are reading it from a different viewpoint. We are reading it from a different background. We are reading it with a different hopeful outcome. But God, we know that when you inspired the authors of your word, that you had one goal. That you had one purpose that was to redeem that which sin had marred and which sin had broken and messed up and confused. And God, you said it is by your word that people find redemption, find life, find grace, know peace, and have joy. So God, we ask that your spirit would take our presupposed understandings, our already decided outcomes, and through the work and the power of your spirit, that you would shift them, that you would change them, that our hearts would understand your heart, that our ears would hear the words that you spoke, that our hopes would become aligned with your hopes, with your wisdom, with your ways, and with your truth. 
God, let us not read your word lightly, but let us read it and know that it is for our good, that you invite us into community and fellowship with you. God, we pray that you would open your spirit to us now as we read of your word, and we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as I told you, Paul had all the credentials, had all the ability and the authority to say the things that he said, and because Paul said the things that he said in the way that Paul said those things, a lot of people really get turned off to what Paul is wanting to say. If you will remember, it was the book of Romans that John Wesley was reading from. He was reading uh, Mark Luther's preference to the book of Romans. It, it was the words of Paul in that gospel that helped him to truly understand what it means to be saved through faith. One of John Wesley's biggest struggles throughout his beginning life, his beginning ministry, was whether or not the things that he was preaching, he really believed or he really felt like he understood. And when he would ask somebody for advice, they would say, just preach it until you believe it. And so he said, that's what I'm going to do. And it was while he was reading this preface to the book of Romans that he suddenly felt his heart strangely warm. And he knew, without a doubt, that he was saved. And it wasn't that he was saved because he was obedient and he got everything perfect and he did everything right. No, it was because Jesus Christ was obedient and perfect and did everything right. And Jesus Christ did that for him. So when we read of God's word, the first thing we need to understand about grace and we need to understand about all the things that Paul or anybody else is writing about is that everything is possible because of Jesus Christ. It's not our own self-righteousness that allows us salvation. It's not our own ability to be obedient that gets us into heaven, amen? We'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? So Paul still spends time talking about the way that God judges sin. In verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, God will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and the immortality that God offers. But he will also pour out his anger and wrath on the ones who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. And then in verse 17, he says, When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's law, God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's written law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. So you see what Paul is doing. Is he is showing that before the presence of God, before the just judgments of God, everybody is on equal footing. And everybody's probably going to be in trouble. The Gentiles are going to be in trouble because they didn't have God's law to understand and know to obey. And the Jews are going to be in trouble because they had it, yet they still chose to disobey it. I mean, verse 13 says, merely listening to the law does not make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. You remember what Jesus told that group of people that were talking to him about obedience and, and, and how somebody could live right. He said, unless your righteousness surpass, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're in trouble. And he said that in the midst of telling people that the Pharisees had gotten it wrong. So Jesus is telling us, and Paul is wanting us to understand here, is that God gave us a law to show us that there is a big need in our lives. And you say, well, Matt, that's the, that's the whole message of the gospel. That's exactly right. Everything that Paul wrote 
about was for the message of the gospel. And he does it so that people will understand that when we are born again, that when we have become new creations, everything in our lives has to be about the point of the gospel. Since the Gentiles don't have God's written law, they show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts, where their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. You ever done something before in life, and there's that little voice in your head saying, now you know this is not what you should be doing. Anybody ever had that? Anybody just totally ignored that? Yeah. You see, Paul's talking to real people. Paul's not writing a letter that he intended to be put in a book and kept for the ages. Paul was writing to people that he knew. People that had life experiences. People that had struggles. People that failed. People that were severely jacked up in the head. People like you and me, right? And he was writing and he was saying, the problem with our situation it is much like the people that Jesus came to save. Sometimes they know the right thing to do, yet sometimes they still choose not to do it. Sometimes they don't even know what to do, so how can they be held accountable for what they don't know? And I think one of the reasons that Romans is so critical for us to understand is because it's a book that we can very easily place ourselves into. No matter how you feel about Paul, no matter how you feel about God, the church, anything, whatever, anything that you read that Paul is writing, Paul's writing from a real viewpoint. He's not writing from an egghead seminarian professor. He's not writing from somebody who all they do is sit in an office and write books. Do you remember Paul's backstory before he became Paul? He was Saul. He used to kill people for fun. That was his job, to kill Christians. That's what he did. He's, he's like farmer's insurance. He knows a thing, too, because he's seen a thing. And so he's writing from the perspective of somebody who understands that with Jesus Christ, there is a change that must happen in the life of a believer. And he said, this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. My preacher growing up used to say, oh my or oh me. The secret life. We have a big misconception in America, in the Christian church in, in the USA, that as long as we look good for the society, God will pay with us. As long as we fulfill the roles and the things that people expect of us, we can do what we want to inside of us because we're real people. But Paul's writing to real people and he is saying that it is the things within inside of you that God looks at. Does that sound familiar? God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but I judge the heart. Jesus repeated those words a little bit later. So a life that is in Christ is one that seeks to be obedient to the law of God. Now there you go into the semantics of, well, if we are truly saved by faith in Christ, does our obedience really matter? Paul's saying yeah, it doesn't matter for the sake of earning your salvation. But it is definitely the proof of your salvation. And it's more so the proof not by how you handle it on the outside, but how you regard it within yourself. Integrity is something that happens within a person that only that person can control. You can look wonderful on the outside. 
terrible on the inside. And that's what Paul is wanting the person who is reading this letter to understand. He is writing to people that he wants to hear that secret and public sins all make us fall short of what God has expected. I believe that's written somewhere later on in the book. We'll find it in a couple of weeks. Maybe if we get there. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law. You boast about your special relationship with Him. You know what He wants. You know what is right because you have been taught the law. Anybody in here ever grown up in Sunday school? You know what it means to be a Christian. You know what the Bible says. You are convinced that you are a guide or a blind in the life of people who are lost in the darkness. Do any of us ever look at people and go, oh, those sinners? If they would just get it right. We had a, a group come to church one time when I was in middle school. It was an acapella group. And one of the songs that they sang was, uh, Lord, I thank you for making me better than those Pharisees. And then they just went throughout the song. They proceeded to talk about everybody in the church. About they were late, weren't wearing the right things, their haircut. But it was great. So anyway, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children in the ways of God, for you're certain that God's law gives you competent or gives you complete knowledge and truth. This is known as Christian arrogance. And some of us struggle with it. We're worried about what people think about us and people see about us, yet we're no more worried about growing in God's law or growing in our understanding of faith and our responsibility to God's word. But we want to make sure that other people are telling the line. Grace for me, but not for thee. You heard that before? Okay. If you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Thank you, Paul, for calling us out. You tell others not to steal, but yet you steal. You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but yet you commit adultery. You condemn idolatry, but you use idols stolen from pagan temples. You are proud that you know the law, but yet you dishonor God yourselves by breaking now wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. <clears throat> Have you ever considered whether or not you are living your faith in such a way that you are causing somebody to blaspheme the name of God? That's a very important question that we need to think about. We know Christ, yet we choose to live our own life. This is what Paul says to the Jewish people. He says the ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better than an uncircumcised Gentile. So what he's saying is that if we say that we worship God, but yet we have no dedication to the things of God, then we're useless. We're wasting our time. What a thought if we wasted every single Sunday our whole life because we did nothing with what we were taught. We did nothing with what we discovered of Jesus, what we learned of Jesus Christ. And he said, if Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? He's saying, you, you use the law to justify it. So if anybody says that you know, God is good, well, by our standards, we must say that God is good. I want you to hear this right here. A true person that belongs to God is one whose heart is right with God. True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, but it is the change of heart that is produced through the work of the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. John Wesley had a sermon that he preached called Circumcision of the Heart. 
And if you know anything about Jewish history and Jewish culture, uh, the act of circumcision to mark that you belong to God was a very important thing. And it was something that Jews in the early church used to say that other people weren't truly Christian. Paul and Peter had that argument uh, at, at one point, and, and they really got into that kind of a heated dispute over that. So what Paul is trying to get people to hear, and what John Wesley was trying to say is that a person who belongs to God is marked not by the public opinion of those that see them. A person that belongs to God that has truly been born again is not one who seeks to learn the law for the sake of learning it because that's what good people do. But a person who has been born again is someone who obeys God's law not out of fear of punishment but out of desire to honor God with their life. It is imperative, it is critical that you and I, if we are to declare ourselves born again, if we are to claim that Jesus Christ is good, that He thinks in the, the aspect of eternity and not just our limitedness now, that we obey God's law because we desire to know more of God. Because we desire to have Christ's work affect more in our lives every single day. That we realize each day is a new opportunity to experience grace. And so Paul says that it is a change of heart that is produced by the Spirit of God. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. When is the last time you made a decision in your faith based on what God would think versus what people would think? When is the last time you made a decision involving families or friends or relationships or something and your number one goal was that God would be glorified regardless of what people said? That's what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to correct a thinking that saved people balk at God's word. And the reality of it is a lot of us do that every single day. We want to live in the world. We want to get along with the world. We want to be a part of the world. But yet we do that with a relationship with a person who says that you're going to be of a different kingdom. You belong to me and not the world. So Paul is telling this young church here, and in seniors, this is something that I want you to hear. This is a perfect time to hear this and understand this. Uh, you're going to be going to college. Good things happen in college. Bad, terrible things happen in college. <laughs> I had a, a friend one time whose older brother said probably one of the wisest things I've ever heard. He said, I believe that your freshman year of college can make you or break you in your faith. Because for the first time, you don't have mom or dad standing there telling you the right decision. You don't have mom or dad sitting there saying, no, you probably shouldn't go do that. That's a terrible idea. Or just think of how many stitches you're going to get because of that. For the first time, you get to be in charge of who you want to be. And all the results and the outcome of that is completely on you. So hear these words that Paul said. That a person whose life has been reborn in Jesus Christ the person that has made the statement that Jesus Christ is our foundation. 
is someone who has within their heart made the decision that I'm going to let God tell me what is good. I'm going to let God's word tell me what is true and what is right. I'm going to let the wisdom of God tell me the things that I should stay away from. No matter what people think, no matter what people say. Because my goal is to make God happy and to glorify in God because it was God who gave of himself for my sake. And it is God who sees our days from the perspective of eternity instead of our immediate situation. It is God who considers our well-being for eternity instead of the next few years. So my challenge for you today, not just our graduating seniors, but for everyone who would claim faith in Jesus Christ, is that when you read of God's Word, read it diligently, read it intently, and then set it as the law in which you plan to live your life. Don't worry about public opinion. Don't worry about cultural influence. Because those things can never limit the work that God wants to do in you. And that God accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross.